Welcome to the Elevate Together podcast, voices of change in the business of law. Hello, this is Nicole Giantonio, the head of global marketing at Elevate. The podcast episode you're about to hear is part of our next Normal Leadership Series, featuring Elevate's chairman and CEO, Liam Brown, talking with Esther Cho, shareholder and chair of the executive committee at Kiesel Young & Logan. KYL has built a national reputation with innovative work in financial services, maritime, environmental, employment, and complex business litigation. During this episode, Liam and Esther discuss leadership, culture, diversity, and a personal story that highlights KYL's approach to all three. Esther, thank you for joining me today. I'm really glad to speak to you as a relatively new leader of a law firm, and I'd like to just start off by getting to know you. Would you take a few minutes to talk about the journey that has led you to the role that you have now, please? Sure. And thank you, Liam, for asking me to be a part of this podcast. I'm very honored to be here with you. So my journey actually began at Kiesel Young and Logan. And I know my history is a little bit unique to our industry, but I started out as a law clerk at KYL when I was a second year law student. I finished my clerkship there and I got a permanent job offer. So I started as a KYL lawyer back in 1999 and I've been at the firm ever since. And I know that story sounds a little bit crazy, especially in our times and in our industry, but my story is actually not unique to my firm. More than 80% of us have actually been homegrown and have started their careers at the firm and are still practicing. So I think that I can tell you a little bit more about the culture of our firm. So I started as an associate, became a partner back in 2008, started serving on the executive committee about a couple of years ago. And just recently, right before we all got sent home for the pandemic, I was voted into the chair role late February. So timing was perfect. (laughs) How different has it been to what you expected, given perhaps two levels? One, the, the obvious COVID environment, but also the sort of difference. I remember the first time I became a CEO, it was different to what I thought it was going to be. So maybe it's too early to ask that question, but I'll ask. I don't know what I expected, really. It's actually a very new role for the firm. We're still very much of a first-generation firm. Our founding partner is still very involved in the firm. And up until about two years ago, we never had an executive committee before. That was created a couple of years ago. And I think the natural next step was to figure out the leadership of that committee It's really a new endeavor for us as a law firm. So I'm the first chair of the executive committee. So I'm not sure that I was expecting really anything. I knew that it was going to be a gradual transition. It's still gradually transitioning, but we've had to pivot to deal with the challenges of COVID and being at home. A lot of it has been a bit of triage. I don't know that I had a picture of what it was going to look like. And then even if I did, I'm sure it's different from what I would have anticipated. I wonder what causes a lawyer to get interested in leadership? What are the kinds of things that caught your attention as your career progressed and developed? And joining the executive committee in the first place, actually, ultimately, I don't know, processes that you went through to become the chair, but it's not like you went to business school to become a CEO. Lawyers need leadership too. So what do you think caught your attention or caught your interest about leaning into this sort of role? Sure. So it's interesting you asked that question because as soon as I got appointed, I got a few calls from a few colleagues in the industry saying, are you going to be practicing anymore? What are your day-to-day duties going to look like? And I never envisioned me not practicing law with this role ever. We're very much a practicing law firm. 
we're primarily a litigation law firm and I love that part of my job. I would never want to give that part up. That's what gets me kind of fired up. But it was really a natural progression from being one of the leaders of the firm. It's always something that I was interested in. A couple of my mentors have articulated it this way. It was already a role that I was leaning into in terms of leadership in different aspects of the firm, especially those folks that nominated me and backed me up. I think they thought that it would be a natural progression and kind of a more formalized role of what I was already informally doing within the firm. I don't envision me just running the law firm. I absolutely am still practicing. That's what gets me excited. But that is a very interesting question because I've had that question come up in other respects. I think many of us end up in our careers because the currents move us along. When I prepared for talking to you, I read about the firm and the firm's focus, and I read about some of the things that you do. One thing that leapt out at me as a CEO of a what we call a law company, but essentially, if I may use this term, a parallel legal business, is the firm doesn't only deliver legal services traditionally. One of the things that I don't think many people know about the firm is that you've not only embraced I almost don't want to say the word innovation, but I will for a moment. Not only have you embraced innovation, you've actually really structurally done something different and you've created an entity that actually has another focus. I know that that was started before you stepped into this role, but can you talk a bit about what was the reason for doing that? And what was the reason for actually creating a separate entity? And how does that create value for customers? And also, how does that create value for the firm? And then how do you see it create value for the people in the entity that you've created? Sure. So thank you so much for asking about KP Labs. We are very proud of that company. So KP Labs is a sister company to our law firm, KYL, born out of this experiment to better service one of our large clients. They knew they needed something in this space to try to automate a certain process, but they didn't know exactly what that looked like. And we were obviously their lawyers and their counsel, and we were trying to help them through this portfolio of work. So it really started out as an experiment for us to try to figure out how to efficiently service the client's needs. And that's always important to us. And I know that's important to your company too, Liam. So we really started out as an experiment. We built a couple of workflows to automate this process. The client loved it. And then we thought to ourselves, why can't we replicate that with other clients or in other respects? We spun off this company to be a standalone company, which is now KP Labs. And it's doing extraordinarily well in that space. KP Labs clients don't necessarily intersect with KYL clients, although we're trying to get everything married together or as much as possible. They're a standalone company and doing very, very well in that space. And we're very proud to be associated with the launch of that company. And we're still very involved in consultation to the extent that they need legal help or lawyers to step in. We're definitely involved in that. And we're still trying to collaborate as much as possible I work with global law firms who have experimented with innovation or working differently or delivering differently. I've seen lots of different business models. I've seen lots of different management models. I have seen very few firms take the leap of really giving wing, sort of it may perhaps sort of pushing an experiment out of the nest and then seeing it fly. Really congratulate you and your partners on taking that approach. I am quite a believer that lawyers are very innovative. I think lawyers actually really think out of the box to solve problems for their customers or for their clients every day. I think that law firms get a bit of a bad rap for not being innovative because I'll call it the business model structural reasons, or in some cases, the economic reasons. So when I see a not necessarily innovative law firm, 
but made up of innovative lawyers actually do something as innovative as, hey, let's actually create a company that will solve these client or customer problems with skills and capabilities and attract people that are perhaps different from the people that would ordinarily join a law firm. Kudos to you. So that was great. I love the way that you framed that in terms of lawyers being innovators. I think our size is nimble to bring ideas to one another and for us to be supportive of those ideas. It's not this big machine where it needs to go through several committees. I think our size really lends itself to that innovation. Also, the personality of the firm. People refer to us as the cowboys, the cowgirls of litigation. Thinking outside the box is something that has historically been a part of the fabric of the firm. So when this idea presented itself and we saw the success of it and we understood that it was something that was very beneficial to servicing our clients' needs, it was kind of a no-brainer. And then the people, I grew up with those people. And the culture of the firm is for us to not only work well together, but for us to collaborate in other ways. For example, we have partners meetings where we go away with not only the partners, but our significant others our families. And then our families become good friends. And some of the partners go away on like separate vacations together. I mean, that's kind of how our firm is. So we're very supportive of one another personally, professionally. And so I think the culture of the firm really lent itself to us being supportive of this endeavor. Talking about a personality and a culture, I've got to imagine that culture and personality of your firm reflects to some degree the culture and personality of the founder and then the of the founding partner and then of the early partners. And how do you imagine or, or think you might curate, nurture the culture and personality of your firm as the first person in your role going forward? That seems like a tremendous responsibility. I don't think that I would change the aspects of our culture and our personality that drew me here and that has kept me here. I'll answer this kind of in a circuitous way, but we just finished doing our summer clerkship program virtually. I just finished interviewing some students virtually on campus. We're always kind of looking for that connection with the person. And every time I'm interviewing a first-year law student or a second-year law student, I'm thinking, can I practice with you for 20 years? Can I go to Hawaii with you? These are the kinds of things that run through my mind because that's been so much of a fabric of how we work together and collaborate together. I wouldn't want to lose those things that brought me here and have kept me here. With respect to what sort of new path that I'm envisioning for ourselves, I think it's KYL 2.0, which is going to be the better version of KYL 1.0, although 1.0 is wonderful. We've historically been in certain niches of the legal space. And I'm already seeing the junior partners and the mid-level partners and the senior associates pushing towards looking at and wanting to explore different areas of law. And like I said before, we're so collaborative and we're so supportive of one another that these are ideas that don't have to go through five committees. But if somebody wants to experiment on an idea, I think that's something that I would like to support. Not that 1.0 wasn't supportive of it, but I don't think a lot of that was going on in 1.0 as much. So that's something that I think I would like to see. We've done a lot of great work in our diversity and inclusion space. Clients are asking us to do better, which I love because when clients ask us to do better, then we stop everything and we figure out how to do it better, right? So I would love for us to continue that march and not lose sight and lose focus just because we're in COVID times. We're trying to figure out other difficult questions. And let me go back to your earlier question about what interested me in this role, I guess. You know, coming up, there weren't a lot of role models who kind of look like me, you know, not a lot of women, not a lot of working moms, which I am. I have a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old and two puppies. 
and not a lot of people of color. So I think for me, I wanted to step into the role partly because I, I wanted to provide that for somebody who's coming up. And it's already proven to be something that was really needed. Talking to young people, talking to incoming associates, they've really gravitated towards me, particularly because of this role model mentorship that they've been looking for. So for that, I'm very grateful that I'm in this role. Sometimes we use words like, well, I had a great mentor. I observed from afar, I saw a leader that I had a connection to. But I think that that's such a powerful thing. It's an important part of the, the next generation of leadership that we are especially thoughtful and mindful of what kinds of windows are we offering people into their careers in the future? Two things that you touched on that I would like to make sure we cover. You talked a bit about new lawyers, and you also talked a little bit about your diversity and inclusion background. And I feel like both topics are really important right now. I'd like to start and ask a bit more about diversity and inclusion. And, you know, when I I was at a conference, the College of Law Practice Management Conference on last week, and I joined the programs from one of the law schools about equitability and inclusion. And it was a very data-intensive discussion. And I actually pulled up our own internal HRIS about our equitability and inclusion program, which is something that we keep track of in real time. It's you know reported at board meetings every month, et cetera. And while we had lots of great progress in some areas, such as gender diversity, LGBTQ, our metrics on our African-American representation in our company was the same as if we'd been a hundred-year-old law firm. And I was surprised because I think of our company as a company that is quote unquote, and I'm using air quotes here, diverse. So that caused a whole conversation internally about if we think of ourselves as diverse, and in this area, we have not moved the needle at all, what's going on? I start off by sharing that it's not lost on me that many of us have work to do. And it's not only law firms that are being asked by clients to do better. So with that being said, do you have a sort of overarching philosophy about how to the role of a law firm in society, what you'd like to achieve, what strategies do you feel should be employed that might be successful? And then, and I'm going to ask this, how do you bring people along? Because this is a change journey for many of us. And you can see that my profile, as you might see, is very, some of my friends will say, some of my colleagues will say, you know, male, stale, and pale, which of course I, you know, <laughs> I like to claim is not true. But, you know, you have to bring a lot of people along for us to make a, a difference here. So that was a long preamble. Yeah. So. In terms of the work, it's interesting because, you know, we're always looking inward to see what we can, looking at our own metrics too, just like you discussed. We do really well in our gender diversity. We're actually double the industry standards in terms of our women equity partners, which I'm very, very, very proud to say. Because we're a, a firm where we're homegrown, at the upper echelons of the firm still, what did you say, male, pale, and stale? <laughs> and that's just because we don't hire laterally. It's just part of our firm culture. We don't hire laterally. We try to identify talent early on and then we hope they stay along. So because of that, the upper echelons are still not very diverse. But that's part of our core values that we're not really willing to change at this point. So we're doing really well in terms of recruiting diverse talent. We're very mindful. We have our own goals for what we want to accomplish. Our DNI committee is making a lot of recommendations to the partnership. And so we're doing really well there. I do think that we are still struggling in the retention area. There are all those statistics about law firms and law firm partners and how the entrance might be how the regular demographic 
in the population looks like, but then the diverse fall off for a variety of reasons. And so my focus, and I think part of our firm's focus most recently has been in retention. And so how do you retain diverse talent that we've identified early on and we've trained and how do we try to hold on to that diverse talent? And I think it has to do with mentorship, sponsorship, giving access when you might not have been given access in prior years. A lot of our clients are asking for pitch teams that are diverse which helps to bring people along like you were just talking about. The first place to start is make the business case for it. Hey, if we do this, we will get more work. It's kind of hard to argue with that. If our clients are asking us for it, I think that's easier to bring people along. And then it's education. We did our first implicit bias training at our partners meeting last August, which was amazing. I mean, we spent an hour listening to a presentation and then another hour talking about the issues and trying to figure out how we can do better. It's education and we're looking into different workshops and to try to bring people along. I think for us right now, we're really focused on retention. We really want to make sure we keep these people. It's more important to us, especially because we're a firm that doesn't hire laterally. Because it could be a little bit of a quicker fix if we hired laterally, but that's not part of how we do things, which is part of the firm that I love. For now, we're going to focus on retaining. And we've just recently decided to participate in the Mansfield certification. So I was very proud of our decision to do that. And we got to meet certain markers. And even when we were just going through the recruiting, we had to make sure that there was certain representation and the folks that we were bringing back. And so we're being very mindful of it to try to break through some of that implicit bias that just exists across the board. There are these markers now that we have to answer to that's going to help us stay on track. I think explaining to clients that you are planting trees that harvest fruit from in 20 years time. And I realize that perhaps that's too long, but you get my point. I'm sure there will be some clients that will say that's not fast enough, but I believe that many clients, they're looking for evidence, tangible evidence of what are you doing about improving all of our organization's participation, representation of the societies and the communities that we're part of. And so I think as you tell that story about, look, we have made strategy choices around and culture choices around not hiring laterally, and we are putting our energy into where we recruit, how we retain, et cetera. I think those to me are the kinds of hard yards rather than the shortcuts. I think that what will be sustainable are the hard yards, the work that we have to do to really make change over time. And of course, I think many of us would like to see things move faster. I read about your work with the community of legal interns. What do you do and why is this important to you? We changed the name as Community of Legal Innovators. I serve on the advisory board of CLI. It was started last year, Connie Brenton, her passion project. She met the chancellor of Southern University Law Center in Baton Rouge, Louisiana at a conference was blown away by him and the story of Southern and what he was saying about the students of Southern. And for the rest of the audience, just like a one minute version of Southern. Southern was born from a lawsuit in Louisiana where a Black student applied to go to law school at LSU, but it was uh, segregated. So it was illegal for him to go to school there, even though he was qualified. So there was a lawsuit that ensued. Ultimately, I think the lawsuit was settled, but the Board of Education basically founded this law school so that Black students could attend this law school. Historically, it's been majority Black students, although now I think it's about 50%-ish. The tuition at Southern is $5,000 a year. $5,000 per year, which is unheard of, but that affords 
people who could not otherwise go to law school an opportunity to go to law school. And so when you go to Southern and you meet these students, every single one of them that I met was amazing. They all have their own backstory, their story of where they ended up in law school and the dreams that they have for the future and the fact that it attracts these students with such grit and gratitude for where they are in their lives. It really resonated, I know, with Connie. And then she uh, asked a few of her friends to join with her in partnering with Southern to promote diversity and inclusion in the legal community to educate not only the students that we ended up hiring at our various firms, but also we opened it up to a larger community. So we did this big webinar series last year, which continued this year, trying to promote diversity and inclusion in the legal community. And partnering with Southern has been an amazing part of that journey. This last year, we had an intern from Southern come and clerk with us at our firm, virtually, obviously. His story is amazing. It's a law school that we would have never looked at before this. Part of our commitment, even before we got involved in CLI, was to try to recruit from other law schools where we historically haven't been to, but maybe we would have an, a better shot at getting some great diverse talent. We decided to go to Southern. He came and clerked for us and we just made him an offer. Come join us at KYL. Not sure that that would have happened without CLI. It's a great success story. Now I got to just keep him and make yeah. sure we retain him. He's great. But yes, that's some of the work that we've been doing with CLI. Great story. Great story. I've got two questions. Leadership in tough times requires dot, dot, dot. Leadership in tough times requires flexibility. I think it also requires resiliency. It requires one to be able to really listen to the other point of view, even if you don't agree with it, and to consider it. And leadership requires strength when it's time for you to make those tough decisions. You said something in that list of things that leadership requires. You touched on resiliency. How do you think the younger version of Esther learned resiliency? How do you think people learn resiliency? I know how the younger version of me learned it. You know, my resume looks one way. You know, Esther, she's been at Kiesel for this many years. She made partner. Now she's this. I know it reads one way, but it was really a long and windy road for me to get here. I don't know if I can get personal here a little bit, but my husband and I were married 10 years before we had our daughter. And there was a lot of medical intervention (laughs) with that. I took a leave of absence from my firm to do that because I thought my job was too stressful. So, and I went part-time for a while and I thought that was not going to be well-received by the partnership. And this was when I was an associate and I wanted to make partner, but this other part of my life was important to me. And through that process of being a part-time lawyer, trying to pursue this other thing personally, I made partner. I made partner after I had my daughter, which is great. But then with my son, it was another difficult pregnancy and I was on bed rest for five months. And I was gone from the practice of law for about eight months because I was on bed rest and then I took time off. When I came back, I didn't know what kind of lawyer I was going to be. I had lost touch with my clients. I had lost touch with the partners. I felt like I was completely off track. So I had to come back from it. And I also had to learn balance. And I think the younger Esther Cho, if the path was straight, I'm not sure I would have been the same sort of a leader or the same sort of a partner or the same sort of a person. Definitely not the same sort of mom. I know that for sure. I learned resiliency through trying to navigate those tough times and then also leaning on my friends and my colleagues who were there for me every step of the way. Part of the other reason I'm still here and very loyal to my law firm because they're a part of my story and my life. Thank you for sharing that with us. A wonderful conversation. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for asking me. It's been a pleasure. Tune in to the next episode of the Elevate Together podcast. 
available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and ElevateServices.com. 